that's page 930 uh, there in the church Bibles. And this evening uh, we're going to look at Jonah chapter 1 and verses 4 down to verse 16. If I was to ask you, uh, what is it that you fear most, I wonder what you would say. Sometimes we fear things uh, that we try to avoid. So people might avoid heights, or spiders, or darkness. Some people are scared of things that might happen, things that you can't really avoid, things like sickness, things like death. But there's another kind of fear in the Bible that is talked about, and that's the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord isn't necessarily uh, being scared like you are of heights or spiders or darkness, although it can and sometimes does include that. But the fear of the Lord in the Bible is really remembering that God is God And we are not God. And it's acting according to that knowledge. That God is God and we are not God and acting according to that knowledge. We can be intimate with God as our Heavenly Father, but we can never be light-hearted with God. He is our Father who is in heaven. He is Almighty God. So we have an intimate relationship with an almighty, all-powerful God in heaven. This kind of fear of God, that is intimate but also uh, reverent, remembering he is our Father who is almighty God, and acting accordingly, that kind of fear can also be called worship. Worship. In the Hebrew language, in the same way as in English, The word for fear speaks of both kinds of fear. The fear of the Lord and the fear in terms of being scared or terrified. And that Hebrew word for fear is actually all through this passage in Jonah. And it's translated in a number of ways in the NIV. Uh, We'll see the word afraid, worship, terrified and feared. All the same word But according to the context, uh, it depends on how we take that word. Sometimes in this passage, people are going to be scared. But sometimes there is worship, the fear of the Lord. And in fact, in Jonah chapter 1, we can follow the story of what's going on by examining what it is that people fear or what they are claiming to fear. God's people fear or worship the Lord. And Jonah is a representative of God. He's God's prophet. And so you would expect Jonah to be fearing the Lord. But we saw last week that he has run away from God's command to go to Nineveh. He's run away from the opportunity to show mercy to them. And so he is not really fearing the Lord in that regard. But God's work of using Jonah to bring pagans to repentance 
It's not going to end because Jonah has decided to run away. And the shock of this passage, as we read it, is that it is the unbelievers, the unbelieving pagan sailors, who fear rightly, whilst God's representative Jonah is still trying to escape. Salvation is of the Lord, and the Lord will accomplish his plans even in our disobedience. We can call this section of Jonah fearing the inescapable God. And there are three means that God uses in this passage to bring people to fear him. There is God's storm, God's word, and God's presence. And as we read the passage, let's notice how the Lord's representative Jonah responds to God's storm, to God's word, and God's presence, and compare that to how the pagan sailors respond to the same three things. So at this point in the passage, in in Jonah chapter 1, Jonah has been given a command by God to go and extend God's mercy, which has been shown to Israel, to Nineveh. And in extraordinary arrogance, Jonah says no, and he starts to run the other way. He's not prepared to offer that mercy to unbelievers in Nineveh. And at this point in the story, at the end of verse 3, it looks like that Jonah has got away with it. He gets on a boat and the boat sets off. But verse 4 begins, then the Lord. So let's read from verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. And each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah 
and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. This is God's word. Well, there in in verse 4, we see that Jonah has not got away with anything. You can't escape God. And you can see that right at the beginning. The Lord, it says, sent a great wind. Uh, The storm that's going on here was not a coincidence. And it was part of God's sovereign plan and purpose. The sailors in this story would have been experienced sailors. They were, were carrying freight. They would not have set out on this boat trip if they had any idea that this kind of storm was coming. It was a surprise to them because it was not in their forecast, but it was not a surprise to God. It was God's storm. He sent it himself. He is the God who we read in Psalm 107 who can command the wind and the waves and they do his bidding. We know that this storm was sent because of Jonah's disobedience. And all kinds of disobedience that we uh, commit have a, has a storm attached to it. The consequences of our disobedience to God might be very small consequences. Sometimes those consequences are quite big. Sometimes we get God's storm this side of eternity as a, as a warning, which is God's mercy to us, as we'll see. But some may even wait and face God's storm the storm of God's wrath in eternity. Uh, a few weeks back we looked at the, the parable of the net and how God's judgment is drawing in. Some people may never have any problems this side of heaven and live in disobedience to God, but nevertheless all disobedience has a storm attached to it. And this storm was sent because of Jonah's sin But God also sends this storm to the sailors. Because to both, as we'll see, this storm was God's wake-up call. And it's an amazing mercy of God for him to send the storm, to wake up the sailors, and to wake up Jonah. It would have been far worse to allow Jonah to carry on in his sin, and the sailors to carry on in their ignorance of who this God is. It was amazing mercy that God sent a storm. And this great wind, we read, was so violent in verse, at the end of verse 4 there that the ship, it threatened to break up. And at this point, in this storm, we see the first fear from the pagan sailors, fearing God's storm. In verse 5, it says... All the sailors were afraid. The storm is so great that they are terrified of what is going on. And so what do they do? They decide to go turn to religion. In verse 5, they cried out each to their own God. They turned to their religion. Each sailor would have had a God that he worshipped. And so they pray to their gods. Nothing happens. We know that it's because those gods don't exist. 
But the sailors are praying, crying out to their God. And so what do they do next? They, they, they begin to work. At the end of verse 5, they start to throw the cargo out into the sea. Well, that's quite a radical step, isn't it, for freight-carrying sailors? If their job is to carry freight, to start chucking it overboard, that was a radical thing to do for them. They're trying to work their way to escape God's judgment. But neither their religion nor their good work can cause this storm to stop. Some people try and worship things, that gods that don't exist. Some people try to do good works to escape from God's judgment. But for us and for the sailors, neither religion or good works is going to help you escape the storm of God. So they're terrified and they're trying their best to do something about it. But what's Jonah doing at this point? Well, we read that at the end of verse 5, Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Well, why was he asleep? How could he, how could he sleep? I mean, I've had some dodgy ferry crossings to France in the past and I've not slept when the boat's been doing this kind of thing, but that would have been nothing like the storm going on here. How can Jonah possibly sleep? Well, we don't know, really. We're not told the exact reason. Perhaps he's exhausted from running from God. Uh, When we're disobeying God to this kind of extent and trying to escape him, it is an exhausting thing and a depressing thing. It might be the sleep of a kind of uh, exhaustive depression. But sleep also is a form of escape, isn't it? The sailors are trying to do something about this. Jonah is asleep. And as he sleeps... Trying to escape this storm in a way. He's also ignorant of not just the storm, but of the impact of it on himself and the others. As as he sleeps, the sailors are thinking they're going to die, and they will die. And so Jonah is in the boat, he would also die, but he's completely ignorant of it because he is fast asleep in the bottom of the boat. And the amazing thing is that this is God's representative. This is God's prophet. This is the one with the word of God. He has the answer to their problems, but what is he doing? He's asleep. When all is going crazy around, the, around, his, in, around, around them, and the unbelievers are looking for what to do, God's prophet is asleep in the boat. Well, we can be asleep in this kind of a way too, can't we? We can try and escape problems on our phones, in our busyness, in our laziness. And as we're so busy in those things, we can be completely ignorant of the problems that are going on in the world around us. We can be spiritually asleep when what we should be doing is providing the world with the answers that they are seeking. And at that point, we need God to wake us up. And that's exactly what happens in verse 6. The captain realises somehow that Jonah is not there and so he goes to him and he says, how can you sleep? The pagan sailor rebukes God's prophet, which should be really embarrassing. We should not be in a situation ourselves where the world can turn around and rebuke us for being spiritually lazy when they're looking for answers. 
The world should know that we are Christians, that we are serving the Lord. But here we see a tension in the fact that the pagans are doing all they can. They're doing prayers to their gods, they're throwing their cargo overboard, but Jonah is asleep. They're fearing God's storm, Jonah is sleeping in God's storm. They're trying to save themselves, Jonah's sleeping. They're praying, Jonah is silent. They're seeking deliverance, Jonah is seeking oblivion. And Jonah is shown up by these pagans whom, judging by how he doesn't want to go to Nineveh, he despises. They're not God's people. But notice how this pagan sailor repeats God's call from verse 2. He uses the same kind of language. He says, get up, which is actually the same words in Hebrew as in verse 2 when God says, go. Get up. The the pagan sailor says, and God in verse 2 says, go. It could be get up and go. This sailor is telling Jonah to get up and call on his God. He thinks maybe Jonah's God will help. But for Jonah, he's hearing God speak to him again. Get up, get off your back, stop sleeping, get up and start praying. And what does Jonah do? Well, he's still silent. What an opportunity here to witness to this God. But the prophet of God doesn't say a word. He remains silent. When our world asks us about our God, we need an answer, don't we? We better have something to say. And when the world looks around at the moment, there are plenty of storms that can prompt people to think of eternal things. There are the obvious things like sickness and death. Those bring questions. There is uncertainty in our nation over Brexit. People are getting all worried and upset about it, but here we can point to something that is certain. Don't worry, our God reigns, he's king. There is anger and confusion over the state of the world with wars and turmoil. We have answers. And there is individual suffering that all of us go through. And we have answers to these questions that the world has. And when they come with these questions, we need to have answers. We are called to be awake, not to be asleep. We need to be the ones that are able to point uh, to the one who can deliver from these storms and help them through. Well, we see here you cannot escape God. And that's both a challenge and a comfort, isn't it? The fact that, that Jonah is unable to escape God in this storm is a challenge if you're running, isn't it? If you're running from God's presence, that is a great challenge that he's going to have his way, whether you like it or not. But it's also a great comfort, because neither can you escape God's mercy. Because this storm, to wake the sailors and to wake Jonah up, is a great mercy. As I said, it's, it's far worse if God lets us go on in our sin. But you can't escape God, which is both a challenge and it's a comfort. Well, the fear of the sailors begins with the storm, and often 
That's the place, isn't it, where God gets our attention in a storm. And they begin to look outside of themselves for help. They begin with their gods, and that doesn't work. They begin with their own work, that doesn't work. And so they begin other ways of trying to figure a way out of this storm. And what they do is they begin to cast lots. In verse 7 it says, the, the sailors said to each other, come... Let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. Jonah says nothing here. There's plenty of opportunity for him to say, it's my, it's my fault. But he says nothing. He allows them to cast lots. And what, with the casting of lots, that would, we don't know exactly what it was. It could have been throwing dice or uh, they would have maybe thrown uh, bones or something or whatever they would have done to find out what happens. But however the lot was cast, in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 33 we read, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And the lot fell on Jonah. God pointed him out. You can't escape him. Now Jonah could have confessed, but he waited until the, the, the lot pointed him out. And they showed, and God showed the sailors where the problem was. And so at this point, the sailors know their religion doesn't work. Their works do not work. And so they turn to God's prophet. And God's prophet begins to speak God's word. And there is a fear of God's word. In verse 8, we see the the panic of these soldiers. Uh, When you look at verse 8, you notice how the questions Uh, One after the other after the other. And it gives this sense of panic in these rapid fire questions. Now in one sense these questions are to confirm that the lot was correct. A kind of, is this right Jonah? But more, they're trying to confirm Jonah's identity so that they can figure out his God so they know who to appease so that the storm will stop. And our identity is wrapped up in what we do and where we're from and so on. And so for Jonah, being part of God's people is integral to who he is, even though he's been trying to escape that. But what these questions do then is force Jonah to confess the truth about the God who he's trying to escape and confess it to these pagans. And that is exactly... Uh, what happens in verse 9. The fear that these men have of Jonah results in him speaking God's word. And finally, in verse 9, Jonah speaks. And this this verse is at the centre of this chapter. It says, He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The word there, worship, Same word as we've heard before, fear and afraid and so on. Jonah says he's a Hebrew and then defines what that statement means. That a Hebrew is someone who worships the Lord. But you notice the utter hypocrisy here. The utter hypocrisy that Jonah can stand there in front of these sailors and say to them, I worship the Lord. I worship the God who controls the land and the sea. That's my God. I'm a Hebrew. I worship him. 
He's saying this with his lips, whilst at the same time running from his commands and seeking oblivion in the bottom of the boat. It's just an an amazing uh, hypocrisy that he can stand there and speak verse 9. He's been running in disobedience. He's been hiding away. But yet, that verse is a very orthodox confession. It is right. What he says is correct. His head knowledge is superb. Because Hebrew people are the people of God, and the people of God worship the Lord, and the Lord is the God of, the, of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This is absolute truth. This is gospel truth. In his head, he knows the truth. But in his life, he's running away. And isn't that a huge danger for us? We can sing songs about God's truth. We can recite the Apostles' Creed together. We can speak to other people and say about how wonderful Jesus is. And then live in such a way that makes an absolute mockery of what is coming out of our mouths. That's a huge danger for us, isn't it? People who confess with their mouth on Sunday and speak wonderful truth of God. But when they go to work, they swear and they gossip and so on. People who sing that they will lay all at God's feet. But when it really comes to being an actual sacrifice, well, they won't do that. People who believe the truth about being a good spouse and they say to their spouse I love you and then in their treatment of their spouse it doesn't match up with the words that are coming out of their mouth people who say that I believe in the forgiveness of sins and I'm so glad that God has forgiven me of my sin and yet hold grudges Jonah's life here how he's acting does not match up to his orthodox confession in verse 9. And we need to beware of falling into the same kind of trap of really being a hypocrite. But the truth of what he did say, the truth of God's word that he is the Lord, the God who made the sea and the dry land, well that, God, that word from God because Jonah here is speaking God's word to these sailors, well, it had an impact on their lives. Jonah gives the sailors God's name, the Lord. He gives the sailors his location, the God of heaven, and his dominion. He made the sea and the earth. In other words, my God is in heaven, and he controls the land and the sea, so therefore this storm is under the control of my God. And in verse 10, we see the response of these pagans to God's word. So Jonah's response to God's word is, well, I'll speak it, but I won't live it out. That's what he's doing. But again, notice how the pagans respond in verse 10. This terrified them. It terrified them. They hear God's word and it terrified them. Again, same kind of word as worship, terrified. They, they're, they're terrified at this word of God. And their fear is intensified. In fact, there is a, a greater emphasis here on their terror. They're more terrified here at God's word than they were at the storm at the beginning. 
terrified. They are more fearful of this God than of the storm from this God. They grasp the truth of who this God is. And then they can't understand, they they, they can't understand Jonah. They say to him, well, what have you done? Now how can you, Jonah, be so stupid? How can you run away from this God? How can you be so so stupid as to, to claim that this God controls all of this and then you run away from him and then you're asleep in the bows of the ship? What's going on, Jonah? That's what they're doing. And I think we have a danger as well of being quite blasé about God's word at times. We, again, we, we can speak it, but not really think much of it. That's kind of what Jonah's doing here. He's, he's reciting the truth, but he's not fearing the truth. He's reciting it, but not fearing it. Well, the unbelieving f- sailors feared God's word. They were terrified But that fear deepened as they figured out who this God is. But then this knowledge of God's word led them to another kind of fear. The fear of God's presence. The fear of God's presence. At this point, they recognize the Lord. They recognize not some God that other people worship, but they we see here... The, 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 the name of God, the Lord. The Lord is the personal name of God for his people. The Lord. And we see here the, the, the pagan sailors responding to the Lord. And in verse 11, uh, we see that, 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 that fear of the Lord moving on as the sea gets rougher. They, they're asking questions and they're asking God's prophet that this is the prophet of the Lord. He must know. What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? In other words, how can we escape this wrath of God? We know you are the problem, Jonah. So what does your God, what does the Lord want us to do? And then in verse 12, Jonah gives the answer. He gives the consequences of sin. Death. Jonah knows sin results in death, so there must be death for sin. And he tells them, throw me into the sea. And then he prophesies, if you do that, the sea will become calm. God's prophet here is showing God's way to salvation. He's showing the unbelievers the way of salvation. Sacrifice and obedience. The sacrifice of Jonah and their obedience in throwing him over. The sailors had to obey the voice of God's prophet and throw him overboard if they are going to be saved. Jonah here recognises it's his fault that the storm has come. He, He confesses that very thing. He says at the end of verse 12, I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. But recognising his fault and paying for the sin does not mean that he has repented. Verse 12, at first, sounds like that Jonah is finally trying to help these unbelievers. Finally, it seems, he's got it. He's, he's, he wants to help them. He wants to save them. But why is there a storm in the first place? There's a storm because he's running away from God's command to go to Nineveh. 
So what would repentance really be? Repentance would be, turn the ship around, let's go back to Joppa, and I'll get off at Joppa and I'll go to Nineveh. That's repentance. But instead, Jonah wants to die. And it's the final way that he can think of that means he doesn't have to go to Nineveh. He doesn't have to go to Nineveh because he thinks, well, you know what? I'll just die then. This isn't a noble sacrifice because he really loves these sailors. There's no prayer for forgiveness here. There's no seeking forgiveness from the, uh, from the sailors. He acknowledges it's his fault. He wants to be thrown overboard. He would rather die than go to Nineveh. Well then in verse 13, the sailors, they act admirably as they do throughout the whole of this episode. They're trying to row back. Now, you could look at that as, well, they're disobeying God's prophet. But actually, they just can't believe that God would want to do this. So they, they don't want to anger the Lord by killing his prophet. They're, they're looking at Jonah, and Jonah is the representative of this God. And they think, well, hold on a minute. If we just kill him, that's not going to please God. So they try to, to row, probably back to, to dry land, to drop him off somewhere. They're fearing the Lord here. They're, 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 they're concerned about not displeasing him. But the sea only grows wilder. You know, because God can't be escaped. So Jonah had to be thrown to what was certain death. And notice in verse 14 how the sailors pray. They cry out to who? Not to their gods. Not to a god. They cry out to the Lord. Please, Lord, the personal name of God. Please, Lord, do not let us die. For taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Now we cannot know for certain whether these sailors genuinely are followers of the Lord. But they do show us how to respond to the knowledge of the Lord. We'll see that more in a moment. But what they're doing here is praying that God would not hold them guilty for killing an innocent man. Now we know Jonah's not innocent. They know in one way that Jonah's not innocent. If they're believing what he's saying, they're not saying we believe he's innocent so please forgive us because we're killing an innocent man. What they're saying is, Lord, please I hope, please, may he be guilty so we're killing a guilty man. You see? We don't want to kill an innocent man. So the man we're throwing overboard, we really hope and pray that he's guilty because otherwise we're doing wrong and we don't want to do wrong. They ask for mercy, and then they acknowledge God's sovereignty. You, Lord, have done as you pleased. They're saying to God, you know, this is your storm, Lord. This is your prophet, and we're trusting that you want us to throw him overboard. We're, we're trusting you, Lord. You're in control. God's will is done. Jonah cannot escape. They're trusting that this is all part of God's plan. And so in verse 15, they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea became calm. They prayed to God, they obeyed his word and there was calm. They were saved by Jonah's death. 
And it's the same for us. In that we are saved from God's wrath by the death of another. In the New Testament, Jesus speaks a number of times about the sign of Jonah. Which there will be more of that in the next part of Jonah's uh, story. But at least part of the sign of Jonah that Jesus speaks about is the fact that both Jesus and Jonah were used by God to die to save sinners. Now we have to be careful here, because obviously Jesus and Jonah were very different characters. The parallels don't match exactly. Jesus certainly, as we looked at last week, he was not the prophet who ran away from God's will, he's the prophet who runs to God, following his will even to death for his enemies. But the parallels don't need to match exactly. The point of the sign here is that there was a death of God's representative to save sinners who needed God's mercy. Both Jesus and Jonah were sacrificed. Both faced God's wrath to save people from facing God's wrath themselves. And the only way that we can be saved from judgment is to trust the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is enough to pay for our sin. The sailors had to trust the word of God or of God's prophet that his death would save them from the consequences of God's wrath. We have to trust God's word that Jesus has died and has done what it takes to save us from God's wrath. Just as Jonah tells us that the way to salvation is through his death for those sailors, Jesus says to us, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But in verse, by the time we get to verse 16, at the end of the passage, the sailors think Jonah is dead. Their attention, though, is not on Jonah. Their attention is on the Lord, who it says in verse 16, at this, at the calming of the storm, the men greatly feared the Lord. Notice again, there's a, they're afraid of the storm. They're terrified of his word, but they greatly fear God's presence. They recognize the presence of God in the calming of the storm. And throughout the chapter, this fear is intensified more and more and more. And when it comes to seeing the hand of God in calming this storm, they see their salvation. They greatly fear the Lord. Greatly fear him. And they show their fear in two ways in verse 16. They first of all offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Now a sacrifice was a public expression of dependence and worship. They made a sacrifice that told God and those around them that they depend on and worship the Lord. It doesn't say what they sacrificed, but they offered a sacrifice. They publicly said, I d- we depend on the Lord, and we, this, is the, this is the God we worship. We worship the Lord, the God that his prophet told us about. And then it says they made vows to him. And a vow 
is a public expression of intent to keep worshipping. So the sacrifice was a, right now, I'm worshipping the Lord. And the vow is, in the future, I'm going to keep worshipping the Lord. So they were worshipping then and there, and they were committing to worshipping in the future. And for us, that's how we respond, rightly, to the salvation of our God. To the, the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, the great work of the Lord, we look at, at what he's done, and the right response is sacrifice and vows. Faithful worship. Committing to obeying God now. I'm going to, Lord, obey your word. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to follow you now. And I'm going to do so every day. And so as Christians, in a sense, every morning that we wake up, we sacrifice and vow. Sacrifice and vow. That's the, 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 the process of the Christian life. Each day, I'm going to sacrifice today, Lord. I'm going to obey your word today, Lord. And I'm going to do it tomorrow, Lord. So what these sailors did, they, they recognised the presence of God. They greatly feared and they showed it in sacrifice and vows. Well, many, many years later, in the Bible we read of another storm where Jesus and his disciples were also in a boat on Lake Galilee. And Jesus, being God calmed that storm as well. He spoke and the winds and the waves obeyed his voice. And the response of the disciples was very similar to the response of these sailors. This is what the Bible says. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? It's Jesus. It's the Lord. Jesus is the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. He is the Lord. And it is him whom we worship, him who we sacrifice and vow to. He is the Lord. He is the only one that can save us. And he is the one to whom we also must submit. But we're going to respond to this God, the God who controls the sea and the land by singing, Behold our God.